Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by Catholic Singles. Every day, hundreds of Catholic singles join CatholicSingles.com for faith, fellowship, and love. Breadbox Media listeners get 20% off by using the promo code BREADBOX when they register. Come be our next success story at CatholicSingles.com. Looking for a way to build daily prayer discipline? Seen the rise in mindfulness meditation, but not sure if it is possible to meditate in a way that's consistent with your Catholic faith? Just looking for a way to breathe new life into your existing prayer routine? No matter what you're looking for, Hollow is here to help. Hollow is a Catholic prayer and meditation app that helps users deepen their relationship with God through audio-guided contemplative prayer sessions. From meditations on the daily gospel to the rosary to daily examines, Hollow has something for everyone. Hollow is the number one Catholic app in the U.S. It is free to download and has permanently free content, but you can also check out all of the premium sessions for 30 days, risk-free, by signing up at www.hollow.com. Dot app slash breadbox. Welcome to Liturgy Live for the fifth Sunday in Ordinary Time. My name is Alana Berg, and with me, as always, is Father Ian Van Heusen. How are you doing, Father? Doing well. Good to see you. Good to see everyone. As Alana is sharing and doing her thing and kind of filling everybody in that we're live, my little opening monologue this week. So we see in today's first, uh, this week's first reading, and if we connect it with the gospel, I want to talk about care for the poor. I want to talk about outreach for the poor. Now, I want to tell a little bit of a story that I think I'm going to tell this Sunday as well. So in a, a great in, uh, initiative called Poverty Cure, which got at this idea, like how to actually help the third world. And their, their, their tagline was from aid to enterprise. And they tell this story about churches that meant well in Africa. And in one particular village, this church felt like they were doing a great thing for the village by giving them free eggs and free chickens. But what they didn't realize is when they entered the village is that there was already there a local economy that somebody had started up a chicken business and an egg business, right? So a local entrepreneur had made a big investment. So the story goes in Poverty Cure that the, the church invested into it for about five to 10 years. We'll say five or 10 years, uh, give or take. But after that, they, they lost interest in, in giving free eggs and free chickens to this particular village. Well, I think it was free eggs. And so they pulled back. So the village no longer had the free eggs from America. And the guy who started the business had gone out of business. So they were tough out of luck with eggs. So this is the people, the things that people don't understand about giving to the poor. Yes, we need to emphasize and we need to have a care for the poor, but we have to give responsibly. And this, this is an incredibly important quality right now. I think what we've seen, I, I think what we see a lot of places is that people tend to think that if we just throw money at problems, that that'll, that'll create solutions. But that's not the truth. There's a, human nature, and the way human nature works is a little bit more complex. You even look at one of the most difficult situations in America right now is Native American reservations. Now, this might be a little bit controversial, but the reality is a lot of times the reason why Native American reservations are so struggling is because they have just enough money to survive or maybe even more than that, a little bit more than that, but they don't have to work for their money. And that, that can become a problem, especially for men. When they, when they, they don't learn to earn what, you know, their, their, their keep kind of thing. They're not providing, they're not protecting in, the, in, the, in those roles. So we can try and jump in a little bit. Yeah, what are your thoughts? I, th I think when it comes to any type of money that you don't have responsibility over, um, it becomes a something that you don't care as much for. Does that make sense? Like, yep. like, um, like if you win the lottery, like people just blow through that money. Cause it's like, it's not something that they earned with their blood, sweat and tears. You know what I mean? It's like, they don't have, yeah. if you earn your money and if you work really hard, then that's money that you 
really care about like where it goes and how you use it and if there's going to be more coming in you know you're usually in generalize you know there's always exceptions to the generalities but generally have that happen well and, and jordan pearson gets that there we go we already got one big <laughs> uh, actually a couple but um so Jordan Peterson gets that though, and it's a good, great point is with the lotto is if you give somebody a million dollars and they have like addiction problems or they struggle to like um, manage their money well or manage their time well, now they still have those problems, but now they have a lot of money on top of it so that they can make even worse mistakes and right. worse decisions. Right. And that's often emphasizes like sometimes what your problems are, where, where you struggle. Cause yeah. Then, Cause then it gives you a little bit more access to, to do the things that you really shouldn't be doing. Exactly. If, you, if we don't go give to the poor, if we don't really like hone in on what, what should be, what should be done. And, and I think right now that I've, I've talked about this a lot is in our current system and our current economic situation in the world, I think the idea of just simply throwing money the problems of poverty and, and I think there's always a certain percentage of people that will not be able to care for themselves like that they just struggle to live a normal life um, and but but for a lot of issues it, you can't just throw money at problems you just can't throw money at problems right um, it's just it, yeah and that, it's amazing as I get older I realize that even organizations like um, like I, I give the example with Tim I talk about this a lot with Tim. If you had given me a million dollars like three years ago when I started in media, I probably would have made all kinds of stupid decisions. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like now I know how, a bit better how to use my money that like I could stretch things a little bit. I wouldn't, I wouldn't waste as much now. Yeah. I, I can see how that is very overwhelming. Like just all at once. Like if, if you, if you got that money all at once, but you didn't have a really, focused perspective of how to use it or what to, you know, like what in the industry to use it on and, you know, what to invest in, what not to invest, you know, what yeah. could be stretched more, what should really be the highest quality. That is really hard because you want to spend it, you know, you want to spend it. Yeah. When we have money, we want to spend it. So. And, and, and people will convince you to, to, to buy top dollar. Right. And you know, they'll, they'll, they'll sell you, you know, I mean, because we, we talk about the, me and Tim talk about this a lot. If you go to your typical videographer, let's say you say, I want a three minute video and you go to a typical videographer or creative agency, they're going to be like three to $5,000, right? Like for a three minute video. Mm -hmm. Now, can you imagine if I paid 3000, I'm not paying 3000 for every three minute video, right? <laughs> we figure out ways of cutting the costs. Yeah. But, um, yeah. but it's still, that's, that's overwhelming. If that's <laughs> like the only way you think that could be done. Yeah. Or if, or if you, you start off by going to the pros thinking that they have all the answers. Right. Um, but when you're small and scrappy and you're like, dude, I don't have $3,000 in the bank. So I'm just going to have to figure something else out. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, go to students, go to people who are really looking to. Well, and a lot of it's also, it's not even just, it's not even just going to somebody who's going to do it for cheaper. It's actually learning like in any industry or whatever, you learn what those costs are. So like, well, why exactly would you spend three thousands versus two hundred dollars for a video? Well, what, what what happens with each quality, right? Because like, I can do right now, like you can do a video with your phone, right? Obviously, mm -hmm. that's not going to be as well. It can be effective, actually, It'd be more effective. That's a whole other conversation that might we might not want to have. But let's get back to the poor, which is um, people assume that it's because we don't spend enough money on the poor that we have issues of poverty. Um, I would say that's a little bit BS. Yeah, well, I would say that Christ said we will always have the poor. Yeah. <laughs> so so it's not so much to, I don't know, eliminating poverty is more as they give us, the people in poverty give us a reason to um, be have virtue and they, mm -hmm. ha in their own right, have, you know, they have their own virtues in, in opposition. Does that, I'm not yeah. explaining myself very well, but we have the duty to serve the poor and they have the duty to accept those blessings and allow us to, to serve. And really it's an exchange of blessing um, and for us to lift them up and for, for them to lift us up in a different way. 
because we need them and they need us. Um, and, you know, as much as we can to lift them up out of poverty, of course. Um, but it's just a weird, it's just a weird thing to think about of how, how that inter, how that works out. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it is, it's a, it's a delicate balance because on one hand you want to help people out of poverty, but on the other hand, you don't want to turn people into projects, which is something sometimes like the missionaries of charity do a very good job of is loving people where they're at, supporting and loving them and where they're at and not trying to fix their brokenness necessarily. But somebody might object to that, like, Oh, you should try to fix everything. You should try to solve all the world's problems. But generally speaking, I feel like those people don't actually work with the poor day in and day out. I mean, not to be too much of it, or they're new in their career and at some point they're going to burn out and become cynical if they're like a social worker. Like, cause I've seen it with a lot with helping professions. Um, they get, they get really cynical and burned out and it might express itself with like a cynicism towards the system. Like the system is broke or you know, right. whatever they, they always project the, the issue onto somebody else. But if you make it too big, it's paralyzing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like each of us have to kind of focus in on who we can serve. And then if all of us serve who we can serve, then more people will be served than expecting each of us to serve the whole system. You know, the whole uh, gambit exactly. of everyone fixing all the problems at once. It's like, well, that, that's a little bit too big for our, uh, you know, ability to focus. So we need to focus on the person that's in front of us in the group that's in front of us, you know? So, and that's how we actually get more things done than trying to really, I mean, it's important to have it, have the umbrella view and for some people to be looking at things in that way. But most of us need to just be caring for those who are, who are around us. Like, like mother Teresa, like one at a time. Absolutely. So. Yeah, let's get in the first reading. All right. Yeah. So I'm from Isaiah. Thus says the Lord, share your bread with the hungry, shelter the oppressed and the homeless, clothe the naked when you see them, and do not turn your back on your own. Then your light shall be, break forth like the dawn, and your wound shall quickly be healed. Your vindication shall go before you, and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry for help, and he will say, Here I am. If you remove from your midst oppression, false accusation, and malicious speech, if you bestow your bread on the hungry and satisfy the afflicted, then light shall rise for you in the darkness, and gloom shall become for you like midday. So from this part of Isaiah, just earlier in this chapter, it's about how our fasting, it's not the fasting of having us just, or the people of Israel just fast from food and have ashes and sackcloths. That, that's not really what he's looking for. He's looking for the type of fasting that, that lifts up the lowly, that really um, brings justice to the, to the oppressed. Um, mm -hmm. And and so this is what comes right after that. Um, yeah. And I think, I think it's, it's, um, it's not, I, I think it'd be too much of an exaggeration to say that you shouldn't fast, of course, like just do works of mercy, which of course, no, up until the modern social justice warrior type, like very few people ever made that kind of argument. But there is a problem of a, of a kind of, I would say a sterilized spirituality, which is, I have my family, I have my friends, I have my devotion, maybe I fast, I do holy hour, I do all of that, but never do I encounter somebody who's different from me. Never do I encounter somebody who's of a lower socioeconomic. I never get my hands dirty, you know, in um, mm -hmm. serving in a soup kitchen or whatever. Um, and I, I struggle with this a little bit because I wish I had more time. I tried to my first year at this assignment, I would volunteer at a soup kitchen in the morning. I would wake up early to, uh, to cook breakfast. I really kind of like didn't cook a lot. I just kind of, there were some tasks that we would do and serve them and stuff like that. I love doing it. Um, but I think there is something about, I've, I've always learned early on was like trying to be in solidarity. And I would say for families is there, you have to have that opportunity where you take your kids to see the homeless or you take your kids to, to the soup kitchen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
yeah and and just interact with them you know when whatever ways that you can um and also that i think what this is saying is that it's those things are good the fasting is good and God, the lord asked us to fast so it's not an either or yeah it's a it's you you can't rely on the fasting you know for just for your salvation or even for the ability to call on the lord and and be heard is what he, this is saying is that you really need to, you know, purge yourself from these, these, op this oppression and false accusation and malicious speech and how once you get rid of the negative things and bring on these positive things of service that, that, that will really, you know, the Lord will hear your cry more. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, and There's kind of, I was just saying before we started, I was saying it was kind of a, a proto a beatitude of, of service. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. You know, that the, you receive those blessings from being of service. And one of the, one of the things I, I loved uh, when I was in Florence um, is uh, so in Florence, the, the, the Duomo uh, is right in the same courtyard where the main area where they would do hospital and they would do the corporal works of mercy were across the plaza. So you could come to the church and then you could also get like social assistance and things like that. I love that image. Like that, that's like, that that's at the core of the city. Like that's the, so you, you worship God and you serve the poor and that's where you give alms and that's where the poor are cared for and, and things like that. Um, where was I, this? I missed where you said Florence. This. Florence. Oh Italy. yes. Florence, Italy. The, we didn't get to go inside the Duomo, but it was, yeah, it was in Florence. Oh, it's beautiful. Uh, yeah. Um, and just even just a sense of like people often say, well, you know, I have a theory with like, should we spend, like we should never buy nice things. We should never buy artwork. We should spend all that money on the poor. I think there's, there's obviously a balance. There's a need for a balance. You, you spend part of it, but see, that's the thing is, is though it's, if there's that balance, I, I almost think I'm trying to think of a percentage. I think maybe like a 10% or something. I'm trying to think if there's a good, I like the idea right now of trying to think about it in terms of percentages. What percentage of your income slash a parish budget slash overall wealth should care, should go to directly to the care of the poor. Now I think for our budget, we should give, you know, the 10% tithe I think is, is a good. So I think roughly to split that in half, right? Half goes to your parish, half goes to like a soup kitchen, or some or a combination of things something like that yeah something like that hmm. that makes sense i think there's definitely so many charities to even hmm. split that in between <laughs> yeah um and different yeah. projects and stuff that that would be worthy of of yeah. your tithe but i i do agree with the splitting of of you know partially parish partially um other places yeah so, um, and and when you when you talk about serving the poor in art, so because there's a lot of people who don't like that there's the church has art, and um, I really found that living in Italy and being able to visit all these places that I would have never been able to go to without you know not living there because it was around where I lived and it was local places that most people, tourists don't see. And yeah. how, how beautiful even the local art was. It wasn't like a tourist attraction or anything, but it was just what they lived with for like hundreds of years and how beautiful it was and how grateful I was to be able to witness it. And it's in just, that's just how the culture was. And, and someone at some point spent a lot of money to have that artwork there. And it was still spiritually edifying for me hundreds of years later. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, so I think investing in art is so important um, mm -hmm. because of how it spiritually affects people. Because we aren't just physically poor. We're also spiritually poor. And, yeah. and we need to invest in the things that lift us up, lift our, lift our hearts up to God. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, you know, that requires us to invest in art, especially in our worship places where we were, you know, churches. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the funny thing is, is like people say you should sell all the artwork. So, so hypothetically, if we sold all of the artwork, let's say St. Peter's, we sold it. So chances are it'd become like a mall or something like that. Right. Or, you, or somebody might decide to turn it into a museum. 
How often do you go to a museum? Like seriously. Rarely. Yeah. How many people regularly go to a museum? Like very few people, but you go to church every Sunday, right? I mean, if, if you're practicing Catholic, but, um, but yeah, but yeah. Um, so, but it's really fascinating because people are like, it should be going to a museum, but like people don't go to museums that regularly. They don't, they, and they definitely they don't pray there by, by any means. Right. And then the question is, well, if it, okay, museum or it goes into somebody's house, like somebody bought that. Right. It's like they, nobody sees it except the, 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 can you imagine if like, like a private donor, private collector had the Pieta and they just had it like in their house, you know? Um, mm-hmm. But yeah. Um, it would be tragic. <laughs> yeah, it would be very tragic. Um, but there's a lot of things like that. Or even in a museum where it's seen, you know, very rarely. I mean, I think I've, I'm one of the few people that has gone to museums on a regular basis not here. There's not really one here in Greenville In North Carolina. There's not really a good art museum, but, um, I mean, like, I usually go to muse- museums that there's something there that I really want to see. I don't just go to museums to go to museums. So, yeah. And I would go to the Philadelphia museum art, a uh, museum of art about like once a year when I was there. Mm. And I think that I probably went more than most people. Yeah. Right. <laughs> probably. Yeah. yeah. But, but I think it's important, I mean, it's important to think about and important to like realize that we, we're not just caring for their physical, yeah, caring for them physically is extremely important, but also caring for everyone spiritually, you know, because even if you, if you have money and you're spiritually poor, then that's important to serve them in that way too, in, in that capacity. And I will say one thing we should, it should be emphasized, and I probably will this weekend, is it is not an option to care for the poor and to support the church and to support um, support these things. It is a requirement, right? I mean, that's like if you if you have if you have more than enough money to survive, even if it's a little bit more. Like I would say, if you're making over thirty or forty thousand a year, unless you're like living in New York City or something. Even then, you have, I think, somewhat of a requirement to help the less fortunate than yourself. Mm-hmm. But um, we all have a we all have a requ- it's a requirement, right? Yeah, which is important. We have some comments. Yeah. Uh, Ryan Fisher says hello from Louisville, Kentucky. Glad to see everyone here today. I feel like that was a test. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, he says I agree with throwing your money at the problem. I think he means problem, but he said prayer. Um, throwing the money at the problem doesn't solve the problem or maybe at poverty doesn't solve the problem. Um, sorry. Uh, dealing with homelessness is a complex issue and one being dealt with by many in the Louisville area. But I always say homelessness is a byproduct of something, whether that be addiction or mental illness, PTSD, and so on. None of these can be figured out with, with just money. They require love, meeting them where they're at, and giving them the same mercy and grace Jesus has provided us. So absolutely. Uh, he said he said he meant poor. Okay, oh, throwing money at the poor. Thank you, Ryan, for clarifying. Um, and Father Vitalis says the idea of balance is very important. Virtues lies in the middle. Virtuous yep. in media stat. So, yeah. So with thank you, Father. It, it's um uh, it's really important for us to not just um, really shut out the opposite, you know, because when, mm. when we come together in, in that balance, it really helps all of us. It's really good for the, for the whole of the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. So, all right, you ready for the second reading? Time yeah, let's jump in. All right, from 1 Corinthians. When I came to you, brothers and sisters, proclaiming the mystery of God, I did not come with sublimity of words or of wisdom. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and much trembling. And my message and my proclamation were not with persuasive words of, or of wisdom, but with a demonstration of spirit and power so that your faith might rest not on human wisdom, but on the power of God. Okay. Cool. So I think... I was going to say tying, I think tying into this is really important that it's not about 
what we can do on our own, but like how powerful understanding the folly of the cross is and really relying on the, that grace when we work with the poor too. So, so it's not just convincing in ways of our own strength. It's convincing in ways of the strength of the Lord. And how that makes sense. He is. Yeah. I, I got, I got, so he's talking about his missionary activity. So I got an interesting story. I, 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 it's kind of a theory, but I think, I think there's enough evidence to support it. So one of my ancestors was a missionary to India and because he was a Protestant pastor and he had a family, he did what any upper class, middle, upper middle class, middle class pastor would do, which is he brought his household and he had people helping to care for his family. So like he had attendants at the house and they established their household in India. We're talking like the 1800s, right? Mm -hmm. So the interesting dynamic though was, I believe I'm fairly certain that Protestant missionaries like him never really won over the Indian people because they were used to their holy men and women being ascetics and being celibate and being an abject, you know, the simplicity like a Franciscan. Mm -hmm. And so, whereas the Catholic missionaries were often, you know, celibate men or celibate women who, who were able to lower themselves. They had that place of freedom where they would live off of, you know, donations or they would live like they would live in solidarity, like mother Teresa. She's a classic example of somebody who's won the esteem of many Indians um, in, in India in general. And see, I think this is a, there's a few things that, to kind of flesh out that one of the, the real challenges, this is a principle of leadership that Paul's articulates in a few other places, which is um, it's not radical in America right now because of the Christian culture or even in this post-Christian culture, but it's a part of our leadership culture that the leader, the leader leads by example, right? Um, which is, is not always, we, we recognize it, but it's not always as obvious at first. Like, you know, if you, uh, as a priest, you know, am I willing to walk into the kitchen and clean some dishes? Like when we're having a meal and an event, um, you know, cause we're all touched by those examples. I think everybody, and maybe our bishop should do this a little bit more often. I think some do like we'd all be touched by the image of a bishop with his sleeves rolled up, like in a soup kitchen serving the poor or, yeah. Or, you know, versus giving an hour lecture in his finest ecclesial attire about how we should care for the poor. Yeah. yeah. I think it moves, it moves more hearts to actually act yeah. versus hearing and then, then not really seeing that visual of what does this look like? So it really gives a, a visual of, of how, how are we supposed to look when we're serving the poor? Oh, yeah. look towards our leaders. This is what it's supposed to look like. Now, not everybody, you know, not all the leaders, all leaders are like this. Um, but I do think that I do agree that it, it's a good idea, especially fruitfulness for, you know, conversion, deeper conversion or first conversion um, to serve and see those around you serving at all levels. Right. Because mm -hmm. it's just as it would, I think, just be just as inspiring to see young children serving. Absolutely. Does that make sense? Like, and they're not leaders, but they, but it really sh like kind of reflects back at yourself. Like, well, they can serve. Like, why am I not? Yeah. You know what absolutely. I mean? And we're really fortunate in America that we do have this healthy leadership culture. We're like, I mean, there's famous stories like Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos and some of these guys. I mean, for in many ways, there's many issues with them and where they spend their money, but they have a good work ethic and a good leadership culture. You know, where you hear things like Bill Gates will drive to pick up his kids, right? Like, I mean, he could literally pay somebody 30000 a year or 40000 a year just to drive him everywhere and drive and pick up his kids. But it's like he wants to be connected with those everyday things. Mm -hmm. And then and you're, you're familiar with the billionaire pledge where they, 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 promise, to they promise to give away 90% um, of their wealth. Mm -mm. And then it's the idea of Warren Buffett where they give away almost all of their wealth. They leave their children. Is The idea is you leave your children just enough that they can pursue whatever they want, but not too much that they don't have to work. That makes sense. Yeah. Because they have to want something and work for something just like they did. It keeps exactly. you focused. It keeps you from kind of going crazy. Yeah. Which people don't pick up on America. Most of, I, I would say most of our, very few of our ultra rich 
was it was it handed down? I mean, the you know, most most people there's we don't because you got to remember a hundred years ago and in the time of Jesus, you had a whole class of people that did not work for a living, like the the wealthy and the elite did not work, right? You know, right? They didn't punch in a time clock. I mean, and, and our our top one percent. I mean, they're famous for working long hours, like Elon Musk, right? Or even Bill Gates, where they start yeah. working, like, they work more hours than most people because they're kind of right. obsessed with work. That's definitely a culture that's changed drastically in the last hundred years. Yeah. Just even seeing like Downton Abbey, the view of like what Downton Abbey was like, kind of like yeah. the, the different class systems and who, what work was on different levels. Um, and now how different it is because the work at the higher level CEO ish level is, is a lot. They work a lot. So exactly. It is interesting. Um, But when it comes to, but it's not like that across the world, right? Because you have the Saudi princes, you have the, Mm -hmm. you know, is that, so you think it's just a Western, a Western thing, very American thing. And I think it's bled over into the European countries, but I think it was a particularly American thing. Yeah. And I definitely think it's, we're so used to persuasive words of wisdom, as St. Paul says, like the rhetoric. We're so used to hearing, being led by good rhetoric um, that we think that we can't share the word of God unless we have perfect explanations. You know, like evangelizing, oh, we can't evangelize because I don't know exactly what to say so that I I can't, you know what I mean? Like that fear of... um, not already being perfected to be able to share the word of God. And, and what, you know, I, St. Paul right here is just saying like, it's not about my perfection in a human sense. It's about being showing Christ's strength through, even through my weakness, you know, how, how important that is to. Yeah, and I, would, I would add a little bit. One thing for everybody to consider is so with evangelization, you're going to be asked the theological question by somebody who's a non-believer before I am just, just the way the cookie crumbles. They're, they're going to ask somebody who they're friends with, they're closer to, by the time they ask me, they've already heard good answers from other people. Um, and, or at least decent answers. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, evangelization for the most part, I mean, there's a role for priests and I definitely try to fulfill that role as much as possible. But a lot of it, most of it is is the the beginning stages happen through interactions with non clergy. Mm-hmm. And some people will be gifted, more gifted with evangelism than other people. But that doesn't yeah. mean we shouldn't be prepared. You know, as one Peter fifteen three fifteen yeah. um, says that we need to be prepared with for what hope lies to explain what hope lies within us. Right. So, yeah. And I, and I almost think like with like St. Paul is he's describing an early stage of his missionary activity. Like where, when he came into the place, he was like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to try to argue a lot. I'm not trying to try to convince people. I'm just going to live among them and demonstrate by my life and mm-hmm. then preach afterwards. Um, but also preach what is a stumbling block to most people, which is Christ crucified is a, is a, you know, crucified Messiah. So mm-hmm. not something that people would hear normally and listen to, but, but the power of it was from God. So that's what converted mm-hmm. people was, was him being so insistent on even this folly of the cross that, you know, we really need to focus and really contemplate on yeah. in our own, you know, Lent is coming up. So Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Let's get into the gospel. All right. We got a half hour for it this week. Uh, woohoo. And it's Matthew, Gospel of Matthew. Jesus said to his disciples, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its taste, with what can it be seasoned? It is no longer good for anything, but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city set on a mountain cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and then put it under a bushel basket. It is set on a lampstand where it gives light to all in the house. So, Just so your light must shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your heavenly father. Okay. So after, so just before this, 
these verses is the Beatitudes, is the actual Beatitudes in Matthew. Mm -hmm. um, so just to set up the Beatitudes and mm -hmm. then, so explaining to them, um, you know, like how blessed are you, all of these things and what, you know, what are, what is required for the blessed, you know, for beatific vision. And then this is what comes right after it. So I, I feel like that's a really powerful understanding of like, mindset of where, where we should be when yeah. reading this. Yeah, and they normally call the, 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 the Sermon on the Mount is the, um, is the, uh, the, the moral theology of Jesus, basically the foundation for moral theology. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, I think I, I think the the salt losing its taste is more of a. I think it speaks a lot to being lukewarm, like yeah. losing because you can be, you know, firing hot or even ice cold, but there's a somewhere for you to go, you know. Yeah. But if you're lukewarm, there's like you can't. There's nothing, you know. It's like the, you can't yeah. move. A, there's no way you can move a ship whether it's going one direction or another. If it's going a direction, then you can turn it, you know? But if you're not you know, moving at all, you can't. You know, what I've, I've often found is um, it clicked in my head when I was in seminary that the key to good preaching and good teaching and good content or just, just good conversation is that you first have been inspired by something and motivated by something and connect with, well, what inspires and motivates you? And then you're able to create things that inspire and motivate. Because um, I have found that one of the challenges can be for seminary and just in general life is um, falling into this whole like vanilla thing. Like uh, we're just, it's just lukewarmness. Absolutely. Where you're just, you're not inspired and motivated. Mm. But, um, mm -hmm. and, 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 and as a result, you're not able to inspire and motivate other people. I mean, motivation is huge. And that's what I often connect with this saltiness. I think if we were putting it in modern terms is like, are you motivated? Like, mm -hmm. you know, are you? Yeah. In in my readings, a lot, it had a lot to do with preservation. Like it helps preserve the faith and it helps move things, you know, give it a, like motivation, like give it a taste, like bring out the taste. Yeah, it tastes of, some flavor. You know, the flavor yeah. of, of ministry, the flavor of what drives you towards you know, serving other people, you know, especially yeah. since we're talking about serving the poor, you know, what is this flavor that you're, you know, searching for to, to serve others? That's tough. I, I told you about that one kid. Remember I told you where his parents said, well, so it's a classic thing. So it's interesting. The, uh, I just realized this with my dog. I made the mistake one night I was trying to get him to, I was trying to train him off the leash and I kept getting mad at him and kind of smack him on the butt, not hit him hard, just kind of smack him like no Charbel, no and then i forgot one of the classic things of behaviorism um, which is a branch of psychology it gets into how to train people and it's based on training dogs i was like oh that's right you can't punish people to the point where you mo it's like that whole thing you know the beatings will continue until mor morale improves like you, you don't motivate people through correction or all you can do through correction and like, so for with a dog, it's no, or like no, and hit him on the butt. All you can do with that is stop a behavior. To motivate a good behavior, there has to be a reward, right? Which is why God starts, uh, why Jesus starts off with the Beatitudes with blessings, like blessed mm -hmm. are the pure of heart. Like this is, this is what's right. going to motivate you is seeking these blessings. Right. And um, in Luke, it's blessed and then woe to. Yeah. So he gives the, the positive and the negative in Luke. Um, but I, I, you saw me smile when you were telling that story. Cause I was just like, it made my mom heart, like feel like you understood a little bit about like what it's like to deal with kids. Cause you know things and then you are in the moment and you do things that, you know, you realize later you're like, Oh, that was not right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that was a mistake. Okay. You know what I mean? So that's kind of how we feel sometimes when we're in the moment, like, do something because yeah. we're frustrated or, you know, we're not thinking yeah, clearly or don't have enough time to think it or through. Or you're tired. Like every, every yeah. now and then in the morning, I'm like, I get mad at the dog and I'm like, okay, I know that my getting mad isn't actually what helps this situation. Like I know what I should be doing. But, but it's like, human. It's like, it's like such a human thing to have to work through. So it's just like, that's why I smile. Cause I'm like, I feel like you understand a little bit more of, 
you know, like oh, what, what some of us go through. But I always, I always got that. I always got that with families because when I was a teacher, it's always easier to do things as a teacher than as the parent. Because when you're a teacher, you get them for 45 minutes. And then if you're a good teacher, you're thinking about that kid for the whole day. And then you're thinking about when I'm going to have that pain in the butt kid again for 45 minutes and what strategies I'm going to use in that 45 minutes. Now, the problem with a parent, and this is why retreats and mental prayer and meditation are so essential, is so a teacher can correct the behavior of a kid because they step away from the situation for 24 hours and they step away for it for a whole weekend. And they've got like a whole weekend to let their subconscious work on it. And by the way, I've realized that your subconscious is always working. People don't realize the power of that. But like, even when you're not thinking about things, you kind of are thinking about them. Because I found this with Latin. Um, I don't worry about my pronunciation with Latin and all the Latin prayers that I do. But the first few times I did it, um, they, they were just terrible. And I was like, okay, I know how this works. Um, but now I pick them up and it's not like I memorized it. I didn't practice it over and over again, but it's like my subconscious has picked it up that my Latin is pronunciation is getting much better and I get more comfortable with the text. And it's not like I look at it that often, but it's like my subconscious is working on it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I would say that, that you're so like when you, when you set everything aside, which is why some parents and families, they need to spend time away from their kids or away from with friendships, with other things. And even just away from the normal, I hate this word, triggers, but the normal triggers of everyday life, like home life, just like a weekend somewhere else, even with their kids that are, you know, maybe having the same behaviors, but it's not the same. I I found that it was very refreshing overseas that we, we would just go away for a night or maybe two and come back and it was just something we needed. You know, yeah. even even if all of the problems didn't go away, it was at least not everything overwhelming, like everything in the house that needed to be done, everything that needed to be done for next week. You know, it was something to just like mentally give yourself that visual, you know, difference yeah. in space. It really does help. I it could be cool to start a monastery where you, you have like a family friendly monastery. Or like, I think that's a great idea. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, just to, well, that's a lot of what we did. I mean, when we went on pilgrimages, we stayed at uh, monasteries and, and, yeah. and places like that. And it was awesome. So I think yeah. it's a great idea. Just yeah, like have wonderful. a, have some, have some family time off Yeah, ar- around um, faithful. Yeah. That's it. Like sometimes I give as a penance is um, I say, I say, okay, you know, your spouse, the, the things you've just confessed, your spouse is taking you off. You react violently. I said, you know, they're going to do the same things next week, right? Like it's going to happen again. So you can, so I want you to do is I want you for your penance to take a second and brainstorm how you're going to act differently next time. I'm like, try to, and, and so the, but that's since the thing, because I have time away from my dog, I can kind of do that. Right. I, I know. I'm like, okay, I know. Yeah. Cause yeah, I, I know, know better. <laughs> I know it's the whole thing is I'm using a lot of treats. I got to go buy some more treats actually. And that's, yeah. Yeah. And, and when it comes, but what comes to that is that you're able to say like, oh, I did something wrong, but you don't like hurt yourself because of it. It's like you recognize it and then you're able to assess what's needed next time. And you don't like create this system where you're burdening yourself with extra guilt or, you know what I mean? Because that happens happens with all of us that we're like, oh, like I keep doing these things, you know, with my children, with my spouse, whatever, with people around me that I'm being frustrating for them or I'm responding improperly to the things around me. A lot of it is the detachment, the ability Mm -hmm. to let go. Cause I had in the past three days, I've had like three or four things that I've screwed up. Um, And some of them were pretty serious where I was like, I don't, I don't know if the person viewed it as a screw up, but I knew I was flirting with the edge of really screwing something up. And I'm like, crap. Like it's one, one of them was one of those situations where I was like, I don't know if I screwed this up. I'm never going to know. Hopefully I didn't just destroy a relationship. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was that kind of bad. And I was like, Oh crap. I just got to like, let it go. Cause like, geez, yeah, sorry, I won't know. Pray for them. Just pray for them. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody pray, pray for yeah. those people. <laughs> you ever had a situation where you make a mistake and you destroy a relationship? Try to happen a few times. I don't think I'm that powerful. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, <laughs> I don't. No, I don't have that no, time. No, 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 somebody else's relationship where, well, like, somebody cuts you off because of. I've had a few times where. Oh. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I'm maybe I just didn't know, and people cut me off for other reasons, but I yeah. Don't know. And I, I've had a few times, and I don't know for certain, but yeah, like um, the problem I, the biggest problem I have, and is, is um. If you catch me at the right time, I have very little filter. And the way I think about things and the way I talk about things can deeply unsettle people. Mm. Like, not that I'm being a jerk or being bad. It's just like what I think about is – and so a lot of times I'm pretty good at having a filter. Right. Where, you know, but the like, things that you contemplate on, like the death and, and hell and stuff like – yes, we've had this, a little bit of this conversation. Yeah, before. just like it unnerves people. Right. Like yeah. why do you think about this all the time? That's yeah. – you know, like some people don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. And my joke was going to be like, you're, you don't have a filter about 1 p.m. or 3 p.m. on Mondays <laughs> when we go uh, live. <laughs> yeah. Well, well it, it, I would say this. Um, it's one thing having like this conversation when um, I, most of the time where I, I really screw up with this is there's analytic mode, like what we do on the, this live stream which is fun. It's like an academic exercise, a spiritual mm -hmm. exercise. But when you're helping people with the grieving process, you don't do this. Mm. It's like a whole different other mode of communicating, thinking. Normally when you're, when you're accompanying people, you know, as the phrase goes, you tend to say less and you should say less and you shouldn't analyze. Generally speaking, anal analysis is not like the worst is, I mean, cause I have to stop myself because every now and then you're like, Ooh, that's really neat. Like you kind of, you know, you, you're making connections and you need to shut, shut your mouth. <laughs> Remember that later. <laughs> Remember that connection later. <laughs> yeah, I'll talk to Alana about it. Yeah. So, yeah, but it, I, which well, it, it makes me a better, it does, it does make me a better spiritual director when, and, and that I think about these things, but it's like in the moment I got to like, not like say what I'm learning. Right. That makes, that makes a lot of sense because what, what we do and, and how this podcast has really grown and developed is, is definitely the back and forth and learning from each other and just making connections on the fly. Um, and yeah, I guess that that would not be helpful in, in a therapeutic, uh, spiritual, com you know, spiritual conversation. Yeah. Company well, think about like, if you're at the doctor and you're, and you're like, I mean, cause I know my sister's joked around about this. Doctors do fight with this as well when they encounter something that's really like neat or like unusual and they're kind of, they're kind of geeking out. Like they're like, wow, this is kind of exciting. And like, meanwhile, that that's like a person who's suffering. And then you're talking to their family and you're kind of, you gotta like employ yeah. empathy. You gotta be I, like, that happened to me. I, and it's like not a big, I can share the story. It's not like a big, uh, like health issue that I can share. Um, I have oral allergy syndrome, which yeah. is, um, I'm I'm so allergic to the outdoor things that my body thinks eating fruits and vegetables is I'm eating tree pollen or grass pollen or you know uh, like ragweed, um, so it's just a really weird allergy to have, um, and it's I have what they call textbook oral allergy syndrome. So that's what the doctor told me. Like oh, I told him what was going on, and he was like oh, it's just, that's textbook oral oral allergy syndrome. And I'm like you know like okay I've never heard this before like what are you talking about he literally brought in everyone in the office into the room and was like this is what this is what she has I'm like so this is not as common as you're making it seem he was like this is what it looks like and this is what happens and the, you know like she looks normal but this is like what she's dealing with and I'm just like okay <laughs> Apparently, you don't see this all the time. You know what I mean? Even if it's textbook, it's like, oh, okay. So yeah. if you have that allergy, there's a Facebook group you can join uh, for you know, solidarity. But this is also, but this also one of the things actually uh, that, that triggered me the other day was one of the priests of our diocese talked about um, how a young priest, I don't think he was talking about me, but he could have been talking about me in our diocese, um, was talking about how they loved hearing confessions and how morbid that was. It's like, no, it's not. I mean, that's just stupid. It's like doctors love, they love difficult cases. They love helping people, but it is a certain kind of mindset 
that like you want in a doctor, like you want your doctor to be excited about what they do. But yeah, it's just, it's, it's a little unnerving. There's when, time and place. There's time and place. Yeah. So. Cause I mean, doctors do get excited about difficult cases. Yeah. Yeah. And same, same with, priests and I mean, maybe not all priests i do i do get i do get like i have like a particularly i mean and i know it, it is helpful sometimes with people when we're done with spiritual direction particularly difficult session spiritual direction i do tend to be like pretty upbeat because i mean normally when that's like it's kind of exciting because you're like they're conquering stuff and they're really getting deep and you're like, Oh, that, mm-hmm. wow, this is awesome. Like they're doing a great job. And so people don't understand that. Cause they're like, at the end, they're like, Oh, I feel so bad. I'm like, no, I love this. Like <laughs> <laughs> you're doing a great job. And they're like, I feel like I'm not. <laughs> I, I just talked about some of the worst and ugliest parts of my, my life. You're and, like, yes, exactly. They're seeing light and then you'll get over them. So this is a great thing. But exactly. it, when you're going through it, it's hard. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, it is like, I do, I mean, and even like, even the stuff that like, I'm like, whoa, that was tough. I mean, afterwards I do kind of geek out a little bit about like, mm-hmm. yeah. So I have a question. What, so we kind of went into salt. What do you think about the light part? Light. Um, well, I, I mean, I think, I think the idea of radiating light, um, the, the image always comes to mind is the light of Mount Tabor idea of the Orthodox, which is that as your heart is purified, as the, the emotions are cool, calmed and brought under the use of reason, that the fire of divine love emerges. And, and, and so the, the light of course is the light of Christ. It's the light of grace, but you are supposed to illuminate things, which I think is generally the case. See, I'm very fortunate is that in my job, in my role, I see profoundly how calling to mind God, how, how radical it changes everything around you. Because by the outward vestments, like the, wearing the cassock, it does have this like profound effect on people both ways. It triggers people. Most of the time it's positive what, what happens to somebody. And mm-hmm. it, it, it elicits all kinds of responses. Um, I think in a small way, when you're faithful and you're peaceful and you're loving, it has that same effect. Mm. Like I know for me, um, people who are joyful have that effect, right? They radiate. It's like that yeah. we talk about, it. we say they radiate, mm-hmm. radiate joy. Yeah. And I think it, it has a lot to do with like, like right before is the beatitude. So like once you've conquered a lot of the internal things and given justice and been merciful, you know, and really, struggled with the things in the Beatitudes to you then are able to be a light to the world. You're able to, and not to be afraid of that. Um, Like not to hide it, even though it can be scary, even though you can, you know, be persecuted like the Beatitude says, but really it's, it's you, you must shine it before others. Your light must shine before others. It says. Now I will say this. one, One of the ways people misunderstand this or at least I did, um, is I always got to be positive. I always got to look as happy as possible. Mm -hmm. I think this is one of the challenges. I agree with like my bishop and the Pope, the idea of like the joy of the gospel and being joyful. But the problem is, is when you hear that when you're 18, you think it's something you do or even through your twenties. So you think is like, if I can smile a lot or if I can always be positive or I can always be nice Right. And of course they rec- there's, there's a hypocrisy in that because then they realize they're not always nice and they're not always positive. So they can become frustrated with that. And really there's a deeper principle, which is it's when you listen to that deep silence, when you listen to that contemplation, when you're entering into the heart, that fire, it's not something you produce. It radiates out of you. Yeah. And it's really like resting in that peace. So like when I th- think about the light and I think about that joy and like how we think we're supposed to be a certain way. But really it's about like just resting in that peace and then the joy can come out. You know what I mean? And not being, not, not suffering. Cause obviously we're called to suffer in a certain way in union with Christ on the cross, but using the stories of our suffering also to bring forward other people, you know, the, the emotions of other people to understand like 
how you worked through that suffering. You know what I mean? And why you're at, in this piece right now, because some, some people need to see those, hear those stories um, yeah. of triumph of Christ through, through the suffering to be able to understand what that looks like. So the light doesn't mean not suffering. The light doesn't mean, you know, smiling all the time, right? It's, it means really showing forth what God, like your testimony, kind of like your witness of how God's worked in your life. And that is a lot allowing Christ to shine through you. Yeah. And, and the value always of suffering is, is so at the core of what love is, is doing what is good, true and beautiful. And, and, and choosing and, and, and the will. I think this could be overemphasized, obviously. But one of the challenges early on is we do what makes us feel good. And we think, so, we think things are good when they feel good. Um, I, I think this is also the classic example for me is like artists in my, and even a homily. Where I get up there and when I feel good, I generally assume that the homily is good. What I love about like creating content and about like doing homilies and like posting them is you'd be surprised. Some of the things that I like the least that I got the least emotional high from are the things that people love the most. I um, felt the same way when, when I was writing more for Catholic link, the things that I just, it was just like meh for me, what like were shared way more than the things that like, I feel like I poured my heart out and you know, and I'm like, this means more people, but I guess not to everyone. Exactly. We have a few, we have a few comments from Ryan. Um, he says, "Wow, twenty-five minutes left for the gospel. That's a record. Good job, team." It is. <laughs> um, Ryan Fisher says, "Dog story. That's another bingo square." And he says, "I think proper amounts applies to both salt and light. Too little salt makes us desire more flavor, and too much salt makes a meal too overpowering for our taste buds. Uh, light works the same way. We are called to be the light of." of Christ. We don't need to dim our light to appease the behaviors of, and customs in the way of the world, but we also don't need to make the light so bright that we overpower those around us. Um, proper amounts in context are important to our evangelization, evangelization efforts. Yes. Absolutely. Now we'll add a little bit of a nuance. So he's right. That, that golden mean that is generally what it's referred to in Aristotle, uh, the golden mean, I believe like, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. The only, the only thing, um, a caveat, is that St. Thomas Aquinas and the saints say, with faith, hope, and love, there is no such thing as excess. Excess. Mm -hmm. so there's, you, you, cannot, you cannot trust too much. Cannot have too, well, you can trust too much, and trust is a little bit different than faith, but you can't have too much faith in God. You can't have too much hope. You can't have too much love. Right. Uh, divine love. Divine right. love, which is deeper than just the emotion of love. Right. And with the, the special, emotion, the, the, special um, the hope specialty one also is that you can't hope too much in God, but you can hope too much from things from God. So there's a difference between those hope, those different hope. hope yeah. And hope, hope and love in, in the Thomistic system, I think it's the best way to do it. I mean, somebody might disagree. Hope can be an emotion and then it's also the theological virtue. Right. So hope is the emotion is well-wishing or, you know, uh, everything's going to turn out. Mm -hmm. And you can have, you can be too optimistic, basically, mm -hmm. which would be an excess of hope. But that's hope is the emotion, not the theological virtue. Right, right. Yeah. Um, but it's actually kind of really neat. I Nobody ever explained this to me, but the more I realized it, there's three levels. There's the spiritual, there's faith, hope, and love spiritually, there's intellectually, and then there's like physically slash emotion. Hmm. You can have excess in the emotions, but not in the spiritual. Gotcha. That makes sense. And it's yeah. important, you know, sometimes even if we, somebody feels like we're, I think that our light is too bright, that might not, you know, that might just be their own, you know, adversion to like what's going on, you know, within them. Because I don't know, I just don't think you shouldn't be, you know, putting your your light light under a lampstand just because other people are uncomfortable. Well, I, I think what you would be alluding to too much light would be an excess of extroversion, which we've all encountered, mm. and I've I'm guilty of on a regular mm. basis. You do. You know, um, <laughs> you know, you know, I walk into a room and I, I don't just sit and chill. I got to talk and I got to, you know. Um, mm -hmm. 
which I can see like a father, Mike Schmitz, he probably had from time to time. You can just tell from some of these guys being around them that they just talk and they love talking. Yeah. But, yeah, but that's a, but an excess of extroversion, but that silence and that peace, there's no excess in that. Mm. And that's a deeper light though. That's what, when he said an excess of light, I was thinking more like a natural light versus the supernatural light. Mm-hmm. Um, you can have no excess of the supernatural light. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And then he says, actually, Father Ian has a filter at 3 p.m. on Mondays. Those sentences just begin with, I shouldn't say this. There's a lot I filter out. A lot. <laughs> but we tease you, so thanks for allowing us to tease you. I do say that on a regular basis. I'm like, I probably shouldn't say this. <laughs> okay, well. Dana was, Dana was giving me a hard time, so... She was giving me a hard time. I made a faux pas. Somebody was expressing the fact they're a vegetarian. And I'm not like always quick to pick up on things like that. Maybe they had like animal rights kind of background. And I was talking about how it's okay to like eat your pets. Like (laughs) I was counseling somebody. You were just joking. No, no. It's, it's, it's a legitimate. I mean, cause I was, I was talking with a couple they were like, you know, um, you know, should we put our dog down? Um, versus uh, spend $3,000 on a surgery to fix the problem or put our dog down. I said, well, you know, you can put your dog down because they're like, well, he's really not that sick. It's just he, he needs this surgery like Achilles reconstruction or something like that. I said, well, you know, you can always put your dog down. I mean, technically you can eat your dog if you want at any stage of the development, right? It's, it's totally acceptable to eat your dog. I don't know if that went over well. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Wow. <laughs> I mean, Except just, for it's not in this country. Okay. Like socially, I mean, socially, yeah, socially, it's just socially. not. So, yeah, that's why I like, that's why my hand is in my, <laughs> it's like in my face. Like, Oh my God. I mean, Korea, they what are you dog. saying? <laughs> but Korea, they eat dog, right? I mean, it, but, but I mean, hypothetically, if our culture shifted and we raise dogs like we do cows to be consumed, mm. that'd be totally so. That'd be totally fine. From now, I will say the the big thing with animals. This is kind of a crazy tangent. We just lost everybody. Everybody's like mad. They're like, yeah, and they're, they're done. Go again. The filter's gone. <laughs> the filter's gone. Um, the big thing with animals is there is a hierarchy. The cute animals, we like them because they're closest to us, but they, they still don't have any rights. They're just it's yeah yeah that was like the craziest tangent that we've ever done (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh okay so he says i think too much revolves around the person who stands outside and yells at others going to a rock concert that they're all going to hell i think it turns people off and undermines the tradition oh yeah Yeah, absolutely that's also not the light of christ yeah no so i think that that would be not um, prudent so that wouldn't be the virtue of prudence that action um, <laughs> um, <laughs> also i don't think telling people about that about their dogs is the virtue of prudence <laughs> <laughs> it, it seemed to work, it seemed work oh my gosh you're crazy <laughs> oh, i love it i love it though okay I, uh, it's like yeah. theologically you're true it's true but <laughs> culturally like don't say that to people. <laughs> oh. oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> okay. Wow. Let's end in prayer. <laughs> Let's end in prayer. Let's end in prayer. Why not? All right. So I, all right. Uh, Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, Heavenly Father, I just, uh, I pray in a special way for all the people that I counseled about their pets and talked about with animals that they weren't offended um, and that, they're appreciative of my insights. <laughs> uh, pray in a special way for our students, for all those who are suffering. I pray a special way for Jonathan, whose funeral I'm doing tomorrow. I pray for all who will watch or listen to this, and I ask you to bless them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right? Amen. Have a good Amen. week. All right, bye. So take me to the fountain It's welling up, it's welling up in me, me. 
Redbox Media Programming is brought to you by... A few minutes each day can change your life during Lent. Ave Maria Press offers booklets for daily devotion, reflection, and more from such best-selling authors as Gary Zemak, Greg Kandra, Father Michael White, and Tom Corcoran, and so many more. Looking for Stations of the Cross booklets or books that are perfect for small groups? We have those too. Head over to AveMariaPress.com and use code LENT20 to get 20% off your order today. Looking for exceptional coffee delivered fresh to your door? We have the answer. Our friends at Grim Bean Coffee produce small batch artisan coffee using top tier coffee beans. The coffee is roasted when you order, guaranteeing the freshest coffee possible. Check out Breadbox Roasts, a new line of Catholic themed coffees available at www dot grimbeancoffee.com forward slash redboxmedia experience coffee like never before <laughs> 